so much great Advertising Week content, so little time. Snackable AI is now helping you navigate podcasts like this one, event sessions, and other content with chapters, topic tags, and more. Find the insights that matter to you faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai. Welcome to Great Minds, and this is a very special edition and something a little bit different. This one cuts across a number of areas, um, business, personal, and everything else. Um, and uh, I'm really delighted to have you here. So with us is Dr. Scott Adzik, and we're going to get into your esteemed credentials, but just start with Surgeon-in-Chief of the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So welcome, Doc. I was glad to be here. And we've got Joel Friedman, who I don't know that well, but I think we like each other, Joel. Joel and I both play uh, golf, me of a very mediocre caliber, in the same place. And we met there uh, in Long Island, not too far from where, where I guess we both live. Certainly, you probably live close by also, I would think. That's correct. That's correct. And Adam Laird, who I also know from uh, the golf world, who's a golf pro, a golf teacher, uh, and a very passionate individual about helping young people. So Adam, great to have you here too. Pleasure to be here, man. So as I know the story, um, Joel, you had a son who had some challenges pretty early on. And as any father and any parent would do, you went looking for answers. And somehow along the way, your pathway led you from New York, where we are in, uh, in my mind, always the big, big hospitals are always here. New Yorkers, Doc, always think that we have the best. We know that's not really true. Uh, and somehow your road took you to CHOP and the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So Joel, I'd love to start with you and just talk about that journey and how this whole thing evolved and the, ultimately the relationship with Dr. Adzik and the team at CHOP. Sure. Thanks for having us, Matt. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, and basically, it goes back to 2007 uh, when my wife, Jamie, was pregnant uh, with our first child, who uh, turned out to be Skylar. When she was 20 weeks along, uh, the ultrasound showed that there was uh, some kind of mass on the, on the, baby's, um, in the baby's chest. And so we had a monitor with perinatal visits and updated ultrasounds. And it looked, as things went along, that uh, the, the growth was going away. Skylar was born in, uh, on December 24th, 2007, Christmas Eve baby um, on Long Island. And uh, they delivered him. They brought him to the NICU. They did updated x-rays and ultrasounds. And everything looked good. Um, so we thought we were out of the woods. Uh, we followed up with uh, the doctor locally, um, who was Harvard-educated, Harvard, educated, Harvard uh, Medical School, so very well-credentialed, um, who wanted to follow up and do a CT scan to see if the, the growth was still there just to, to rule anything out. We did that. Now this is, mind you, this is March of 2008 and I'm in finance, you know, when, when the whole finance world is blowing up. And um, so obviously I didn't care too much about the finance world. I was more focused on what's going on with our kid. Uh, so we follow up with the CT scan and I find out that the doctor has the results on his test. You know, I think someone in the office uh, said that they would have the results on Monday. So I call on Monday and I call on Tuesday, I call on Wednesday, 
Finally, the doctor calls me back on Thursday and says, Mr. Friedman, I hear you're calling the office every day. We'll get to your son's results when we get to them. Kind of a jerk mm -hmm. about it. I'll leave names out of it. But finally, he calls back on Friday to say, we have your son's results. They're inconclusive. I say we repeat in six to nine months. And at the time, our, our pediatrician had actually trained a CHOP, uh, J.P. Cavanaugh. Um, and so he knew all about Scott Adzik. Uh, my wife, Jamie, uh, was a, a physician's assistant, uh, so very well credentialed when it comes to the medical analysis. And so in, in talking to, to Dr. Cavanaugh, Dr. Cavanaugh was like, look, the, the world's expert in fetal lung abnormalities is based at CHOP. And so my wife says, well, we're stupid if we don't take the ride you know, from Long Island to, to Philadelphia and, and go check it out. And uh, I'm glad you said what you said, Matt, about everyone having that mindset that New York has the best of the best because you know, there, there is an arrogance about the level of medical care in the New York area that, that frankly is unwarranted. Uh, there are other places that have experts and this is, this is the number one case to show that. Uh, we went down to, to CHOP. Dr. Adzik took one look at the paperwork that uh, we had forwarded to him. He's like, yeah, the, the problem is the guy did a CT scan without contrast. And so we need to do one with count contrast where they inject the dye and you see what you're dealing with. And we did that scan and sure enough, it came back. Not only was the growth still there, it took up half of his right lung and it had its own blood supply as big as uh, uh, an aorta. And it, it was it was a ticking time bomb for a host of reasons and it needed to come out immediately. Um, Dr. Adzik did a surgery on Schuyler when he was five months old in May of 2008. He cut out half of his right lung. And I didn't know this at the time, but your lung continues to grow until you're eight or nine years old. Schuyler has healthy lung tissue now. And um, you know, quite frankly, uh, we credit Dr. Adzik with saving Skyler's life. I, I, I believe from the bottom of my heart, don't think Skyler would be here without the, uh, Scott Adzik. So, Doc, I, we came to you through a different door, not through the medical door, which is, uh, you know, not our usual territory, but um, through the business and the brand door. We had a conversation with some of the people in your executive leadership team and, and talked about the CHOP story is such an incredible story. I don't feel from the outside looking in, the brand is as big as should be for the punch that you throw and the impact that you're having um, across the board. It, it seems like you have figured some stuff out that kind of no one else has in a, such a difficult, challenging, personal, important area. Is that a fair assessment? I think so. We're, we're all about, a, I'm a pediatric surgeon, a general thoracic and fetal surgeon. Those fetal surgeon types are pretty rare. And at CHOP, we're totally focused on birth defects, many of which can be diagnosed before birth, which has a huge impact on care, both before, during, and after birth. And just, just a little word on birth defects or sort of embryologic uh, misfires. One in 28 babies is born with a birth defect. They're costly, cost millions and millions of dollars in medical care. They're merciless. No parent is immune, as uh, Joel Friedman has so aptly described. They're mysterious. Most causes are unknown. They're overlooked, in my view. And they're the most uh, deadly leading cause of infant mortality. So we're all about birth defects, diagnosing them, uh, taking care of the, the kids uh, who have a prenatal diagnosis or, or diagnosis after birth. And we get referrals from around the world, um, close to 30,000 prenatally diagnosed babies uh, who've come from all 50 states and more than 70 countries. 
and uh, we're the biggest uh, fetal diagnosis and treatment center in the world, uh, actually, uh, in, I think in the galaxy, might be in the universe as well. Mm. Unbelievable. So, Doctor, you've been at this now, give or take, uh, 42 some odd years, 43 years. You graduated from Harvard, I think it was 1979. Uh, Harvard Medical School, Harvard College, uh, 75, Harvard Medical School, 79, uh, Massachusetts General Hospital, Harvard Te Teaching Hospital in 1986, uh, Boston Children's Hospital, another Harvard Teaching Hospital in um, 1988. So I'm uh, just like Joel, I'm, I'm preparation H, preparation H, 17 years of the Harvard system. Fantastic. So let's just go back to that graduation time period of 79 when you graduated from medical school, uh, the very first of your many degrees. And in every other aspect that we normally talk about on uh, great minds, you're talking about unbelievable technologically driven change in a much shorter part of that 40 some odd year time frame. In our industry, the advertising, media, marketing, brand, that whole world, the whole thing has been shaken by the ankles in the last dozen years. Think about the iPhone didn't exist before 2006. So can you talk about the landscape then when you started and where it's evolved and just in broad terms, how technology may or may not have fueled the biggest leaps that we have made in care in that in that expansive period of time. Well, when I was in medical school, of course, prenatal diagnosis and fetal surgery did not exist. Um, so I finished medical school in 1979. I wanted to become a pediatric surgeon. It's a long long but very rewarding training period. In the early 80s, the first technological advance was that a maternal fetal ultrasound came to the fore, was fairly good, uh, got, got better. So we were diagnosing anatomic problems before birth and the parents wanted to know, you know what's, what are the baby's chances and no one really knew anything. So we, we had to define the natural his, history of various birth defects before birth, come up with optimal ways to care for those unborn patients, basically. And then as a pediatric surgeon, it was very frustrating to have a baby with a, a progressive and eventually fatal birth defect because of a simple anatomic defect. And so the concept was an outrageous one. Maybe they should be treated surgically before birth, which was an absolutely astonishing and madman sort of idea. There had to be at least a hundred reasons why you couldn't operate on a pregnant mother before birth, put her to sleep, op open the uterus, repair the birth defect, close the uterus, keep the mother pregnant. And um, I, that was just a crazy idea. So it involved, the steps involved going to the laboratory, uh, working mostly initially in fetal sheep. Why fetal sheep? Well. The size of a fetal lamb is about the same size as a human fetus, uh, and the physiology and anatomy and fetal sheep were very well known. And there was, I, and I was out at my first job was at the University of California, San Francisco, working with Mike Harrison, who was my men mentor and then future pediatric surgical partner. And so we created these birth defects surgically in lambs, studied them, and then worked on techniques for how to fix them and had to overcome numerous technical problems. First of all, how do you open 
the highly vascular pregnant uterus without the mother bleeding to death. So we invented, I actually invented a uterine stapling device that would uh, make the cut in the uterus and fire absorbable staples on each side and pinch off the blood vessels and keep the membranes, the bag of waters around the fetus tacked up to the muscle layer of the fetus. And, and so there were hope and ways to monitor the fetus, how to prevent preterm labor, so on and so forth. And then we, we did additional work in rhesus monkeys, fetal rhesus monkeys, which high, highlights why animal experimentation done ethically is extraordinarily important because there would be no fetal surgery without such experimentation. And so uh, we, we did about 400 or so fetal rhesus monkey preparations uh, to work on the techniques and the most rigorous model we had prior to applying this in humans, which published it in the late 1980s and had to solve all sorts of problems. And then of course had to follow those mother monkeys as they returned to the breeding colony to make sure that they could get pregnant again, that what we had done had not impaired their future fertility and that there were no severe complications because when you think about it for fetal surgery, the the mother, human mother, is a medical innocent bystander who has to accept some risk. And then, of course, ultrasound got better. I came to CHOP in 1995. Uh, we established the Center for Fetal Diagnosis and Treatment. I challenged the radiologist at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, known as CHOP, to come up with a way to do fetal MRI because every radiologist in the world says, you can't do an MRI on the fetus. fetus moves too much, it'll be a blurogram. So I was like the, the new big dog there at CHOP. And so I said, you guys figure it out. And so they did with fast sequences. And so fetal MRI to uh, diagnose and confirm birth defects after ultrasound was developed at CHOP. And now that spread worth worldwide. It's, it's available in Philadelphia. It's available in New York. It's available at really any tertiary medical center in the world. And so then we, we had to uh, learn from uh, the fetal surgery enterprise, but along the way, you know, with all these patients that have been referred to us, only about 10% require an operation before birth. Schuyler did not require an operation before birth, but the, the optimal way to do this is for the mother to have a prenatal diagnosis. We have a much better idea now what the prognosis is, also whether or not the baby needs to be born at CHOP or can be born at the sort of parent uh, hospital and then evaluated electively after birth, which would have been the case with Schuyler, but it should have been much more promptly for sure. And so this, the, these are the steps you go through. So we created a special delivery unit with a help from the uh, very generous uh, Garbos family so that healthy mothers carrying babies with birth defects can deliver at CHOP at a children's hospital, which was an outrageous concept initially. How can that possibly be safe for an adult pregnant mother to deliver at a children's hospital? There's just no way it can be safe. Well. I went to business school to do a business plan for the special delivery unit, which is probably a little bit extreme, but it seems to have worked out. And we worked on it, we worked on it, we worked on it, just like the guy who had the idea for the Golden Gate Bridge. You can't build the Golden Gate Bridge, right? Well, he worked at it, worked on his plans. And so now imitations is the sincerest form of flattery. And now worldwide, there are more special delivery units springing up. So that's a little bit of technology, a little bit of this, the story. So, and then we worked on ways, often through philanthropy, to, to get um, expectant mothers to us. If you're, you're a mother in St. Louis and you have an ultrasound done and they go, well, there's XYZ problems, say a congenital diet with Medicare, and you need to go to CHOP. 
And so maybe she can't afford it. So we have funding to remove all barriers to get patients to us for places at the Ronald McDonald House in Philadelphia for them to stay, to battle insurance companies, all that stuff, because you put the family like this on a, on a pedestal and everybody works around them to get the best possible care. So how about that? The only thing I want to jump in and say is, as usual, Scott's being incredibly humble. You know, in a word, the man invented fetal medicine, uh, fetal surgery, right? Um, it, there's a field of medicine that, that Scott Adzik invented, and he, they have always embraced technology uh, from the things that he discussed, even on up to now. Like they're working on things like an artificial womb, CRISPR technology. Um, you know, they're always on the forefront of technology and embracing it for what it can do for advancing medical um, diagnosis. <laughs> That's great, Joel. Great stuff. And you, you just went exactly where I was going to go, which is it sounds like what you just said is that this is the medical equivalent for the broad arena of fetal care of when Jefferson and Madison and Hamilton were in the room where it happened. You were in the room where it happened, where something new and sounds like, Joel, many new pieces of ground were broken, ideas created, which not only now happen inside the walls of CHOP, but thanks to you, Dr. Atzik, globally all around the world. That sounds like what you just told me, isn't it? I guess so, but, but first we had to create the room. Then we could go into the room and make it happen. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. And you also said something that resonated, which is the importance of prenatal care. Do you think that we've gotten better there as a society, worse as a society? What are your thoughts on that? We're, we're better for, for sure, but we could be the, the delta for routine prenatal care should be huge. There are access sort of issues. There are social economic issues. There are insurance issues. And so, yes, we, we have a long way to, to go. Um, and so what, what sort of stuff are we doing now that involves technology? Joel mentioned some of that. And if I, if I could, I'll, I'll just touch on that now. One is uh, we, we're using the computer power at, at CHOP for the Center for Birth Defects Outcomes. And actually, uh, Joel and Jamie and this entire golf event, all those proceeds um, go toward that research. So we can tell in, in real time right now, expectant parents with X, Y, or Z fetal diagnosis, what is the likely outcome for your baby? What are the prognostic indicators that we, that we can help with to provide the best possible care? And it's all available in real time and also there to, to share with physicians and fetal care teams throughout the world. It's number one. Number two is Bill Peranto, uh, who's one of our younger, certainly younger than me, pediatric surgical scientists, is working on in utero gene editing. And he has shown using CRISPR technology in fetal animal models that one can correct, completely correct single gene disorders with the eventual hope that that will be a way to correct prenatally diagnosed cystic fibrosis, say, muscular dystrophy, say, beta thalassemia, say, sickle cell anemia, say, a whole long list of things that are obscure to the, to the, the, the everyday per person, but which are common in our world and which need a definitive fetal medicine type of solution. So you we're talking now about doing fetal operations, which you, you do one at a time, and it's a lot of technology and a lot of work, but with in utero gene editing, 
at 12 to 14 weeks gestation, you could treat thousands and thousands of fetus with, with genetic disorders, as long as it was done in an ethical way, as long as it didn't affect the germ, germ line, so on and so forth. Third, third area, uh, the artificial womb. Uh, another a colleague, and he and I worked together since 1984, Alan Flake. I call him the world famous Alan Flake. He's a pediatric surgeon like me. He's working on the artificial womb and he's working with in fetal sheep, showing that he can completely support a lamb outside the mother using the umbilical vessels as the hookup with an oxygenator using the fetal heart as the pump in a bio bag through which sterile amniotic fluid circulates. He can support that with nutrition coming via the circuit for four to five weeks. So how will this be applied clinically? Probably in the next year or two, you need four to five weeks for a 23, 24, 25 weeker who's born too soon to get them out to 28, 29, 30 weeks gestation. Huge difference in mortality, humongous difference in complications, more, more morbidity. So that's that's going to be a big hit. And then we're, we, we've a focused multidisciplinary expertise on individual birth defects to enhance care both before and after birth. And then we've tried to lead the way to overcome unsolved problems because it's all about kids. That's it. Fantastic. So Joel, let's talk about your ongoing relationship with Dr. Radzik and his team and the CHOP family. Clearly, it all goes back to all those years ago at Schuyler when he was first operated on, but you're very passionate about it, very knowledgeable. knowledgeable. Talk about how the relationship with CHOP has evolved for you and Jamie over the years. Sure. Well, look, I mean, in a way, it's, it's, it's hard to put into words how, you know, the debt that we feel we owe uh, Dr. Adzik and, and the hospital, um, you know, really, you know, Skyler's now 14. He's, he's happy, healthy, doing fantastic. And, you know, every day when we look at him, we know that there's a world in which he might not have been here had we not gotten to Scott. Um, so I'm not a billionaire. <laughs> so uh, the question was, how could we give back in, in a meaningful way? Um, and so for a number of years, we helped with a poker event uh, for the, the fetal center. And uh, I think over 10 years, we helped raise a little over $8 million uh, for, for the hospital. Uh, many of those proceeds did go to the fetal center and some of it did go to some of the other departments within the hospital. Um, and then eventually as Skylar started to get older, we, we tried to think through like, you know, Skylar was a child, he wasn't into poker. <laughs> Um, so, but he was getting into golf, um, and golf is a, is a great fit for his personality. Matt, you've obviously met Skyler. And so you, you, you know that, right. Um, and he wanted to get involved and he himself is passionate about giving back to, uh, to chop in, in, in a way that's meaningful. He serves on the youth advisory council for chop. Um, and so we, we, uh, at the same time had also gotten to know Adam at North shore, uh, country club. Uh, who is uh, you know, the, also on the podcast with us and is a, a golf pro. So Adam has been Skyler's golf coach for a number of years now. But after getting to know Skyler, um, Adam had this concept of a, of a golf marathon and he had been touched by Skyler's story and felt like you know, there, there has to be a way in which to you know, utilize that. Um, and between, whether it was the poker event or the golf event, you know, the main thing is, you know, I know that there's people capable of giving more money, but uh, you know, the question is just, how do we get the word out, right? Because to your point, what a lot of your listeners, I'm sure, are interested in that is you know, the marketing side of things. Uh, how do we get, how do we spread the word and the gospel of CHOP so that people know 
just how fantastic the place is. Um, you know, uh, Dr. Adzi, you can stop me if I'm talking out of turn here, but you know, having served on the, uh, the uh, board of visitors at the fetal center, you know, one of the things that uh, the, the higher ups at the hospital have talked about was how hospital was founded, I think, uh, in the 1800s. Um, so it's been around longer than a lot of other children's hospitals. It was the first children's hospital in the United States. Wait, 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 wait. 1855, Joel. First children's hospital in the Western Hemisphere. Right. There you go. And, and it has way more beds than any of the other children's hospitals. But the problem is they, you know, I wouldn't even call it a problem. I actually think it was the noble decision to make. But early on in its history, the hospital decided we want to focus on the clinical side of things and not market ourselves as much which is why there are other hospitals out there that are fantastic places. And I'm not throwing any of them under the bus, but they do a better job of marketing themselves, but they're much, you know, and I'm sure people have seen commercials uh, for some of the other hospitals, but uh, they're nowhere near as, uh, as world renowned in their uh, clinical experience uh, as CHOP is. And so the question was, I, I think the hospital has recognized that they need to do a better job on the marketing side of things and get things, get the word out. And so we viewed whether it was the poker event or now the golf event as a way of doing that, tapping into as many networks as we can to let people know. And, you know, one of the beauties of these events is I'm, I'm shameless in the emails that I send around to market them, but uh, one of the most rewarding parts of it is on the follow, you know, throughout the course of the year, I get emails like, hey, I, I, I know you're connected to CHOP. I have a friend who's going through XYZ problem and they need to get to CHOP. Can, can you connect us there? And so I, we've been able to connect a lot of people to chop to get the care that they need, uh, you know, and that's been just as rewarding as, as, as the events themselves, but. Great, great story. So Adam, talk about the early idea. Obviously you were touched by the story, but you are the real engine behind this uh, little golf Ferrari that you've cooked up raising money for chop. Go back to the origin of the idea. Well, I, I don't know about all that, but um, the idea is it's not a original idea. It's an idea that, a lot of people who do what I do for a living um, do to raise money. It's it's quite simple. It's called the golf marathon for CHOP. Uh, the marathon part is me uh, getting out there and playing golf for 24 hours straight. So I play right through the night. And uh, last year I played 252 holes uh, of golf and it was very painful. Um, <laughs> but we rose a lot of money for CHOP. And um, I think just to, to dovetail on what on what Joel said, you know, just from my perspective, there's two really important parts uh, to raising money for kids and kids specifically who are sick. And the, the most obvious one is the one that everyone thinks about, I think, when they donate to some place like CHOP is that every child should have the opportunity to grow up happy and healthy, right? But the other one that people don't think about a lot is that, you know, watching your child grow up happy and healthy is just a peak experience. You know, it, it sustains you and carries with you through your whole life, even in bad times, right? And um, when things feel like they're bearing down on you, right? My own experience being a dad, um, just that memory uh, kind of pushes me forward in a positive direction. And when your child grows up unhappy or sick, and I'm sure Joel could speak to this obviously more than I can, it just, it grinds away at you, I'm sure, in such a negative way. Um, and it probably affects everything. It, it probably affects your productivity. It affects your decision-making. It affects your emotional stability and everything else. And it's just such a huge societal issue. Um, and so we have a, such an amazing guy here. It's my pleasure to be with them. 
Dr. Isaac, of course, I'm speaking about, um, they're doing so many amazing things that he just described every day to kind of change that dynamic and give more people that, that peak experience that I talked about. And just uh, the societal outcomes are so, so far reaching. You, you can't even really fully measure, right, how impactful it's been. So, you know, Joel and I's event, and now Joel's son, the golf marathon, um, it's just one small way to raise some money for this amazing place and team. Um, and we're just, we're thinking as hard as we can on scalable ideas to really grow this. And I'm sure we'll get into that, you know, at some point here in the next little bit. Absolutely fantastic. So both uh, Dr. Adzik and I were entertained by your comment that by the end of the marathon, that you are in some physical duress. Is that right, doctor? Did we both enjoy that, doctor? Well, I, I don't think I enjoy hearing that he was in pain, but I, I appreciate the effort because if you look in Webster's Dictionary, you look under persistent, and there you see Adam's sketch, like the Wall Street Journal. And then you look under passionate, and you see Joel's sketch, like the Wall Street Journal. So side by side. Absolutely. So, Doc, I'd love to go back to another issue. We had um, Dr. Jerome Adams, who was the Surgeon General uh, of the United States uh, fairly recently. And we were talking about America is a nation where we don't focus nearly as much on preventive behaviors and that we excel here and emphasize treating people after they're sick. As a general notion, is Dr. Adams right about that? Well, that's sort of a loaded question. And I'm also in the footsteps of another Surgeon General uh, giant, uh, Dr. Sierra Coop, who was my predecessor as Surgeon in Chief at Chop. And he's, he's the one, when you think of, of Surgeon General, you've got the Lincoln's beard going on. You've got, you've got the uniform with the epilepsy and you've got the medals and all that sort of stuff. So in my or in, in pediatric surgery and fetal medicine, I, I think um, certainly um, uh, folate, folate administration to mothers before pre pregnancy leads to a decrease in spina bifida, which is the most common birth defect that we correct before birth. With regard to prevention for children, I think one of the biggest ones, of course, um, albeit somewhat controversial, that a CHOP has played a huge role in vaccinations, whether it be measles, whether it be mumps uh, over the years, and also prevention with regard to preventing uh, childhood trauma, including violent trauma, penetrating trauma, gunshot wounds, so on and so forth. But the big view on Prevention. I, I think I'd side side with Dr. Um, Abrams, but uh, by no means an authority. Okay, no, it, it, it was just interesting. I, I thought his take, and it seemed consistent to me with what you see in terms of, you know, the trauma part of the healthcare industry and insurance and the uninsured and and all those things. And it, it's just a sort of an American thing, I suppose. Also, sadly, uh, to put more emphasis on treating people and medicating them after they're sick versus encouraging behaviors that will prevent that from happening. Well, I, I, think, I think that access to good health healthcare is a huge issue in the US and throughout the world. Access is huge, so. Yeah, look, and from a 30,000 foot view, there, there's another angle to this. I mean, Dr. Adzik had touched on the, whether it was the artificial womb or some of the, the, the gene editing when used appropriately, 
you know, if you think about, I mean, I'm sure you have plenty of listeners uh, who may themselves have been a preemie or know someone who was a preemie or a loved one who was a preemie. And you think about all of the um, uh, after effects of someone being born premature um, that could have been prevented, you know, had the, the artificial womb existed at the, at the time, right? And so all of a sudden there's all those costs gone, right? Okay, so let, as we start to wrap, let's, talk, let's touch base on two more things, I think. One is I'd love to know, doctor, in looking at your crystal ball, if we're talking again in a year or two, are there some things that we haven't been able to do that thanks to CHOP, we will be able to do in terms of another level of care or solving what was previously thought to be a Golden Gate Bridge unsolvable problem? And then I'd love to talk, boys, about plans to grow the golf fundraiser and what else you see going forward. So, Doctor, we'll start with you and the uh, what, what's hot on your plate at CHOP in terms of new breakthroughs. There, there's a lot, lot more going on at CHOP than just uh, fetal medicine stuff. Um, the pioneers in CART, in, in CART-19 immunotherapy, for example which is going to go not only for so-called liquid cancers, the leukemias, but also eventually just to solid tumor as, as one example. Uh, within my own department of surgery at CHOP, we have uh, 130 pediatric surgical specialists arranged in eight divisions. So that was actually Dr. Dr. Coop's idea that a child should have access to the same sort of surgical specialists that adults, adults have. And with each, each of those eight divisions, cardiac surgery, ENT, ophthalmology, urology, plastic, so on and so, so forth, there are innovative approaches being applied to overcome the unsolved problems that children are faced with before birth and particularly after birth. And that's one of the things that we focus on. Our North Star is innovation because that's the way to solve, solve problems. I mean, as opposed to, you know, providing clinical care is important, but if you're innovative, you're, you're sort of leapfrogging those problems. You don't need to worry about competition, that sort of thing, because you're leading the way. Amazing, amazing. Uh, what a story. In 1855, first children's hospital in the Western Hemisphere. Yeah, it, it was modeled after, uh, there's a story behind this, it was modeled after the Hospital for Sick Children, Great Ormond Street in London. In 1852, uh, that was the first children's hospital in the United Kingdom. There was a big gala celebration. Um, the benefactors for that hospital were Queen Victoria. It's always good to have a queen or an empress as your benefactor, and Charles Dickens, and, and eventually uh, uh, Beatty, who wrote uh, Peter Pan and all royalties to the current day from Peter Pan in whatever venue go to that hospital. So there was a Philadelphian, a doctor, a pediatrician who was there in 1852, and he just brought the idea with imitation being the sincerest form of flattery to chop, and chop started in a little brownstone on Broad and Pine Streets, 17 beds. What, what, what an incredible story. Uh, absolute privilege, doctor, to get a chance to talk to you. So, Joel, Adam, talk about where we are. I know it's coming up soon, uh, but I know the ambition, the drive that you both have. What's the long-term, you know, vision here to keep raising more and doing more to support CHOP? I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass this one off to Joel uh, in talking about our, our big scalable idea because I just, I've heard him explain it so succinctly. Um, but it's something called the 100 putt challenge. And it was started kind of via um, Skyler, Joel's son. And so I think, I think this is a perfect tee up for him. 
Yeah, look, I mean, we thought the first year we did this, we raised, I think, $17,500. I think the second year we raised $25,000. And then last year when we were able to really, um, you know, blast it out and it, it ballooned and we went over 100000 So the thought was at that point, we tapped our networks. Um, Skylar did uh, 106 foot putts. And the challenge was to sink as many of those 106 foot putts as he can. And Skylar, I'm very proud of him. He spent months practicing and he ended up sinking 97 out of 100 six foot putts. Just for a re frame of reference, I believe the tour average from six feet is like 62%. So he crushed it. So we also realized, well, how did he really top that? And he even said that he goes, dad, I, I, I don't know how, if I, if I can do any better than that. <laughs> so the thought was he was going to move on and play a hundred holes. But we also had a lot of people approach us over the course of the past couple of years, like, hey, how can I get involved? And we also realized most people don't have the time or the physical capability of playing, you know, as many holes as they can. You know, even playing 100 holes is brutal. So, but people do have probably 20, 30 minutes. And so the idea of, hey, anyone, anywhere, whether it's indoors, outdoors, can attempt 106 foot putts. And so the, that was our way of really rolling this out and with the hopes of having it go viral where anybody anywhere can sign up and we do have a website. Um, so Matt, hopefully you can put it in your show notes, um, but uh, it's one.bidpal.net slash golf marathon. And if you go there, there are links to, for a bunch of different ways that you can uh, help out. But one of them would be sign up to do the 100 putt challenge. And once you sign up, you can, you can donate a flat amount for yourself or you can go to your friends and family and try to get them to raise uh, uh, funds for you. And you, anytime between now and October 5th, can uh, attempt 106 foot putts and sink as many as you can. One of the nice things too, is we keep hearing from, uh, from kids who, want it, who are signing up that their schools are requiring community service or you know, politely suggesting that they do community service. And so what a beautiful way to get community service credit, right? Work on your putting game, and raise awareness for the best children's hospital on the planet. Absolutely terrific. Well, this is a great story of compassion, of incredible accomplishment, Dr. Adzik, uh, and breaking new ground, and literally, in this case, saving lives, not only in Philadelphia, but all over the world because of your work. Uh, and uh, we're going to come back, I hope, and do part two with Stephanie and talk about the CHOP brand, which I think will be a great conversation uh, as well. But to uh, have a chance to talk to you, Dr. Adzik and Joel and Adam, thank you for bringing this, you know, incredible story. And, you know, I see you and Skylar out there playing and there's nothing, you know, that puts a bigger smile on anyone's face than to see, you know, a parent and a child doing something like that together. Um, and to, you know, just as a parent to know that it could have gone another way were it not for Dr. Adzik and the team at CHOP is, uh, you know, beyond heartwarming and beyond inspirational. So good luck with the fundraiser, Adam. Good luck keeping yourself together after uh, 24 hours. Uh, you know, I don't know if, what, what, doctor, what should he eat the night before? Is this like the marathon? Should he have pasta? What should, medically speaking, what should his last meal be? Well, it, it should, should not, not, not be a Jack Daniels on the rocks with a twist, that's for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he's going to car, carbo load or whatever. But I, I would just like to end with one last quote, again, from Dr. Sierra Coop, who wrote, who said, um, if you operate and save a child, you save a lifetime. Think of Skylar. Right. What a great way to end. Thank you all. A joy to talk to you. Thank you. 
Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. Chaptering and other structural elements for this podcast are powered by Snackable AI. With the ability to unify all content in one place, have AI distill the best insights instantaneously, and share them seamlessly, businesses on Snackable create more relevant value for their audiences faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai.